0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abernanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app.
2: From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodger anderson President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. On Money Talks, we're here each Tuesday morning to answer your personal finance questions. Today, though, we also have a guest in studio with us. We'll be talking with Jane Alexander, President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Mississippi. If you have a personal finance question, you can uh, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And sometimes we don't have a time during the show to answer emails, but we will send you a personal response to any email question that you send our way. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good Good morning. morning, all right, uh, Nancy, we like uh, to start the show with the uh, financial news and the news. What do you have for us?
0: Well, how long have we <laughs> been complaining about rising prices, Kevin? Inflation. We've a long been, time.
1: We've been complaining about the fact that we keep saying the word inflation on yes. the radio, too.
0: Yes. But finally, we started to introduce the word disinflation, mm-hmm. which is a slowing of those rising prices. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, yesterday I read an article about deflation, which is declining prices. Now, it's not across the board. Uh, I'm still seeing those high prices at the grocery store. They're inching up. But in things like uh, durable goods, furniture, used cars, appliances, several other things like that, we are seeing a decline in those prices. So that's excellent news. You
1: say that your grocery store price are down, but they had the 18-count eggs for like $2 the other. I haven't seen that price in a long time. Oh, so some things are down, yeah. yes. And that's something I like to remind folks is that inflation is not – every single price going up all at the same time, at the same amount. Uh, it's, you know, gas prices go up and down every day. I mean, you, you go to work, it's one price, you're coming home, it's, it's another price. And um, one thing that I like to look at, this gets, a chart like this gets passed around a lot. I was not able to find a super updated chart, so it is missing, actually, our recent, our recent inflation <laughs> maladies. But... Uh, showing long-term inflation. Uh, so this one um, I have pulled up. It's, it's only 20 years. It's not super long-term, but showing various categories from the most expensive things, so things that have increased the most, hospital services, college textbooks, college tuition. Those have increased almost 200% in the last 20 years hmm. to all the way down at the bottom. If you're buying a TV now, the oh, prices way, 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 way yeah. cheaper. They're practically free compared to and, where they were. And it's
0: the reason my husband was able to talk me into a new model because he was like, yeah. they're so cheap now. I, I remember in uh, was it the late nineties,
1: early two thousands? Plasma screen TVs oh came out. Oh my gosh, crazy! I mean, they expensive. were they were thousands and thousands of dollars. Not only that, they took so much electricity to use. I remember talking to somebody from the, the electric company, and they were saying that took us by surprise. The demand for plasma uh, of, of energy for plasma TVs. So, not only more expensive to buy, more expensive to operate. Now, I mean, you can get a, t- a really good. Huge TV for a couple hundred bucks in well, anywhere.
0: And that brings us back to statistics and averages. Mm-hmm. Those averages are across the board. Right. And so we look at that average number and it may not be what your personal experience is. So it varies.
1: Right. So so, for instance, over the last 20 years, if you've ended up spending more on college tuition, then your inflation rate is probably really high. If you've spent more on medical care, your inflation rate is probably pretty high. But if you've bought TVs and computers and household furnishings, then you may be spending less than you were and, 20 years ago. Uh, A
0: lot of people we work with um, either have a paid off house or they have a mortgage they've had for a long time. So it may be a two or three percent mortgage. So housing, which represents a big portion of that inflation number, doesn't even affect them.
1: And that's not say, of course, you know, when you need to make a repair or something, but that's just further. It's a different part of it's a smaller part of your budget. Maybe. Exactly. You know, there yeah. are some things that have expanded as a part of your budget. There are some things that have shrunk as a part of your budget, because, of course, you got to have income to pay for. Well, all. Well, I things. think diapers have really expanded at your house. Have I they have, you know, I'm, I am spending more on diapers this year than I was 20 years ago. That's absolutely <laughs> correct.
2: <laughs> that's good news.
1: Uh, is it I don't I don't know I guess it's good yes
2: my thing with the tvs is the They've gotten so large that I could barely probably get one of the latest ones in my house. I mean, they're more than like five feet across now. They're crazy now, so big, it is, yeah. it is amazing. Do we know why certain items are going down? You were mentioning the, the appliances, the used right. cars, those sort um, of things.
0: I think it's a combination of things. The first is supply chain issues mm-hmm. have eased up uh, dramatically. And then the big thing is demand. And so um, once we've gotten past everybody got a new car, you know, now that's not on your list anymore. Uh, you've already outfitted your house because you've been at home staring at that old washer dryer and that old kitchen appliance, Um, now you're done with that. So those are durable goods that we don't purchase on a regular basis versus the grocery store. Well, that's every week.
1: And I think sometimes with electronics is uh, to come up with a new TV or a new computer or building these chips takes a lot of expense on the front end from these companies. So a the, the latest and great – every time, for instance, a new uh, cell phone comes out, an iPhone or Samsung phone, whatever they're calling them these days, comes out, it's – it's the most expensive one, and sometimes that price even goes up and up and up every year. But the older models, which they've kind of been making, they've kind of made a lot of money on them. Those just get cheaper and cheaper every year. So, so overall, I mean, again, unless but don't you're you want the latest and greatest? I mean, sometimes they have a pretty cool feature, which yeah. really draws you in, and, and, and you know, that's where they get you, as they say. But um, but as far as what people are actually buying, there are plenty of people buying uh, a, a, a phone or a computer that actually came out a year or so ago, and it's just much, much, much cheaper now, and it's still a fantastic phone, computer, TV, whatever.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to stay maybe one or two iPhone versions behind, but you're right, because it's cheaper, but it's still... An upgrade from whatever phone you have. And I think I've I was trying to remember maybe the iPhone 4, 3, 4 was one of the first ones I've had. So I'm definitely an iPhone guy uh, because um, I, forget what, I think it was it, one of the Android phones during the World Series one year had these annoying ads. And so I've, after having to watch them for so long, I finally decided do that. I am never going to buy one of your phones. So I've been there we a, go. an iPhone guy ever since. <laughs> so who knows? Um, so um Ryder, what do you have for us?
1: Oh, I was just going to talk more about that—that uh, that inflation. But you know, one of the things uh, Jane and I were just talking about on the way in is kind of year-end deadlines. We are getting very close to the end of the year. If you are—if you are listening, it is December. Check your calendar, oh, please. Shocking. Uh, so, you know, we've been just kind of in a rush, making sure paperwork gets done, uh, especially related to charitable gifts. Uh, we have folks who want to make a gift with appreciated stock. We have to make sure we have the. Pay- paperwork in good order. We know where it's going. Uh, whatever receiving charity, they know that it's coming and, and we're, we're watching it. Um, checks that, that have to get out, we want to make sure that check is getting get mailed to the right place and we're following up with whoever is receiving it, make sure they've got it, make sure they're crediting the right donor. So a lot of those year-end uh, deadlines, and I know uh, should, they've got a whole bunch of them over there at the Community Foundation as well.
2: So I think next week we might try to talk about some uh, year-end things to think about when it comes to personal finance. But, Nancy, off the top of your head, can you think of another one that people should start to be thinking about this time of year?
0: Well, this is a good time to uh, review beneficiaries and uh, really look at those issues. We find that people sometimes forget about those. Uh, Life changes, your family changes, and this is a good time to go back and look at those. Also, during this quiet time, maybe you already know if you've gotten a raise for the next year. So take a look at what you're contributing to your 401k. Can you bump up that amount? Can you save a little bit more as you start the new year? This is a good time to take a look at that and even the investment options that you have within those plans. Um, are they still appropriate for you? And speaking of beneficiaries,
1: uh, you know, Nancy, had your you had your story last week about yeah. how changes at the place that... That holds your money, you know. Say your bank, they upgrade their system, they merge with somebody else, and if you had beneficiaries on the account, and
0: they drop there the might be some mistakes. Yeah. And,
1: and there, there have been cases for us. So we had a, just a particularly uh, tragic case in, uh, in the last couple of years where a couple died, and on their accounts, we could see no information about beneficiaries. We knew we set these up. We could see no information. We call, nobody's got the information. Fortunately, we had all of the original paperwork, and we were able to say, okay, here is the. Original paperwork. We, had. we were sending it in. Somebody was able to. You know, it took took weeks to get all of this information because just it was very old paperwork, and uh, someone probably had to go. pull but was out, pull out some pull it out some boxes from yeah. the vault. Um, but that was you know just making sure it's there, and it's, it's going to be easy because even if it's there and it takes weeks to get you don't want your beneficiaries to have to go through that work when it's just it should be it, it, this is a time when someone should be taking care of them and they're having to work so hard to get that so keeping that fresh and updated um and letting people know what it is uh, if that's important to you
2: um weird question but interesting any thoughts on who should be your beneficiary in terms of Relations. MPB mean, radio should well. be your beneficiary.
0: <laughs> well, generally, when it comes to retirement accounts, IRAs, traditional Roth IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs, we usually advise people to make sure there is a person's name on there, not mm-hmm. your estate. Um, an alternative might be a, a trust if you set up a trust. But generally, having a person on that gives us some definite rules about how that money will be distributed.
1: Yeah, there's a few tax considerations to make with who you put as beneficiaries, depending on what type of account it is. But typically, if you've already made your will, you've already thought about some estate planning. You have a good idea who you want to benefit. You have a good idea. You know, perhaps you want to benefit a cause. You want to benefit a five hundred one c three or some some sort of charitable cause. Uh, you've thought about that, um, and can can put because you can you can put organizations. You can put charitable organizations. That's not uncommon to see on beneficiaries. Um, and that can make sense for some accounts too, but of course there's, there's always ways to, to give to the person or the organization while you're still alive too, if that is part of your plan. Well, I have uh,
2: <clears throat> I picked my brother out, and of course I have four, uh, three, four siblings to choose from, so I figured I would just put the next youngest one, so I guess that's how I did it. So
0: it, are those the ones who have been nice to you?
2: <laughs> who <love> invited <laughs> you to
0: Thanksgiving dinner? That's right, actually, yeah. that's true.
2: <laughs> so if I um, die under mysterious circumstances, they'll know who to look for first. And,
0: and I it, think it was that turkey dressing <laughs> that did <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> one thing to think about with beneficiaries sometimes we see
1: is uh, so maybe a parent has a couple of children, they're like, well, I'm going to Put, I'm going to put my oldest son as beneficiary. Mm, yeah. He's responsible. He'll make sure everyone's taken care of. No, 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 no. You are giving that money to him. Uh, it is Possible for him to give it to his siblings, but it may not make any sense. It may be an and enormous there may be tax some, consequence, some
0: tax implications yeah. for him. To I mean, if you're leaving
1: yeah. ten thousand bucks to your oldest son and saying, "Hey, make sure your sister gets some too," like that's different from leaving an IRA, which would have tax consequences for him, for her. Possibly, you would have to take all the money. Out, possibly, something would happen that you just don't anticipate. So it's so super important when you're thinking about all those people, make sure all their names are on
2: there. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder, ready to answer some personal finance questions. This morning, though, we're also going to be talking with our guest. It's Jane Alexander, and she is president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Mississippi. So good morning, Jane. Thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, if you would, uh, maybe just a little bit of a uh, personal background and how you got involved with the Community Foundation of Mississippi.
3: Sure. So I'm a native of Jackson. Um, I grew up in a, a family that gave back. Uh, both time and talent and treasure. And so I've always had this interest in um, nonprofits and how we're um, trying to support them long-term, short-term. Um, so I landed at the Community Foundation uh, 12 years ago. Um, sorry, 11 years ago. And it was because I, it was an intersection for me of things that interested me, one of which was long-term investing, and the other was charitable giving. And so community foundations sort of sit at this nexus of investing for the future in charities.
2: So give us a little bit more. What, what exactly is a community foundation?
3: So the short answer is a community foundation is a way that people can pool assets to give locally locally. Um, If you've seen one community foundation, you've seen one community foundation. We're all very different because we serve the communities that basically started us. Um, There are more than 900 community foundations in the United States. Um, And we were started in 1994, but it's a model that's been around since 1914. Um, We really like to think about trying to work with donors to support the causes that they have supported during their lifetime. And for Mississippians, that's frequently very, very local.
2: So how does giving to a community foundation differ from doing uh, giving to maybe another nonprofit organization?
3: So the Community Foundation for Mississippi is a 501c3, so we are a charity. And you can give to us directly just for supporting our operations. But we're primarily... Um, create and manage charitable giving funds that can benefit other nonprofits. And so people say, well, why couldn't I just give to the nonprofit directly? And there are several reasons for that. Sometimes it's because you want to make one gift. um, And especially now with the way the tax law works, um, with the standard deduction, it makes it less attractive for people to give a lot of small donations. Uh, So community foundations can help facilitate what we would call a bundled gift, which is frequently a larger amount of money that you do every three or four years, and then you can decide that you're going to give that, you know, and grant that out over time. Um, So that's one way that we're different. The other way, really, that we're different is we focus a lot on endowment building. So we're very interested in helping nonprofits sustain themselves forever by holding and managing endowment funds, um, one of which actually is is for public broadcasting in Mississippi. So there we go. we're very happy um, to host those funds because we find that that's a very difficult thing uh, for nonprofits to make a decision is we need to set aside money for the future. So if you think about... Um, Groups like the United Way being kind of the community's checking account, we are more like the community's retirement account.
0: So, Jane, what are some of the local groups that the foundation supports or undergirds?
3: Sure. So um, our oldest nonprofit endowment was for Mississippi Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. Um, We have had that. They actually had a separate foundation, which is still a separate corporate structure, but they moved their assets to the community foundation, We've managed that for several years. They've continued to grow it, and so they get regular payouts for that. From that, um, Magnolia Speech School is one. MPV is one. Um, we really have New Stage has an endowment. So, you know, we find that uh, when you can start to have these conversations with nonprofits about how do you plan to sustain your operations, people are always going to give to programs. You know, they're going to give to the activity that an organization is doing. It's getting more and more difficult as the baby boomer generation um, has gotten older. Their incomes have gone down and some of them are no longer with us to find those regular check writers who basically just gave generally to organizations to do whatever they need to do with the money. Um, This is putting a lot of organizations into a, a vice because if you have more programming that you need to do, but you have fewer dollars coming in to support your general operations, then how do you continue to grow your services if you can't sustain, you know, paying your light bill, having rent, paying for employees? So that's where an operational endowment can really be useful, is encouraging people, first of all, um, to think about their futures, but also to capture with planned gifts the, um, the gifts that people who've been supporting your mission forever could leave to you in their estate Um, they get it, right? These are people who basically have been writing you a check for $150 forever. Um, They really can help write a $150 check to you forever just to – to sustain your operations and whatever else you need. And I would
0: think some of these smaller groups would find it advantageous to be under a bigger umbrella of the Community Foundation, someone who can oversee all of the investments as well as all the administration and all the details that they know that's going to be taken care of.
3: That's correct. So the Community Foundation um, has, of course, we have a board of of trustees, but we also have a very robust uh, investments committee. The investments committee is almost as large as our board um, because we have both non board and board members on it. We also have a grants committee, and that's the other side that I think that donors sometimes don't think about is what happens even if I leave a legacy. Mm, yeah. um, I can't always, I, you know, I still kind of want to control how that money gets given away in the future the best way to do that is to work with an organization that's always going to be comprised locally. So it's no offense to our charitable partners at Fidelity and at Schwab, but those are not people who are invested in the community. So one of the things that we bring to the table is knowledge, a lot of knowledge about the community. And that's always going to be true because our board will always be locally comprised. So how do you know I'm picking this charity? I want to give money forever to this charity. Well, what if something happens to that charity? It could go out of business, it could, you know, change its mission. It could change so we have a grants committee and a board that looks at that pretty pretty consistently to say, you know, this person really wanted to support X kind of activity and this charity that they named has really kind of gone off into a totally different direction. What's really more about donor intent? So we try very hard to, to keep donor intent for, uh, top of mind and look at this. We're we're just now about to turn 30, so we haven't had a lot of opportunities to have to do that. But the Cleveland Foundation, which is over 100 years old, um, does this with a lot of regularity.
0: Yeah, I would think that would be awfully common where you have this legacy that you've given and trusting uh, this group is going to still be there, and it may not.
3: That's yeah. right. And, and it really may also not be doing the same thing. So, you know, I, you have some group that maybe was, was started to promote, a, like, local artists, and then suddenly they changed their mission to become more about, you know, some other kind of program. Uh, the name may be the same, but the mission may be different, and what the donor was trying to accomplish with their legacy is what we would be thinking about. So that's really where we also want to work with um, donors but also their advisors Um, So much of this is about codifying what you want. Uh, We try not to make it real complicated on our side. We have fund agreements, but we let donors basically write an addendum to say, here's really what I'm trying to achieve Mm -hmm. (laughs) in English. You know, it doesn't have to all be just through a will. We're also a lot easier to change. And so when people set up uh, legacy funds to benefit a specific charity or group of charities, um, if the donor decides at some point, During their lifetime, well, I don't want to do that anymore. And maybe it's because they change churches, or maybe it's because they have a different uh, school that they want to support. They all they have to do is notify us. They don't have to go change the beneficiary on a really complicated thing to do. Uh, So it makes it a lot easier for people to give um, a meaningful gift of a complicated charitable, um, you know, a a complicated asset, basically. Because you're not trying to think, oh, gosh, I have this one 401K and I want to divide it between five charities. Well, that's hard to do when you have to keep changing the (laughs) beneficiary every Mm -hmm. year in your 401K. But if you have a fund that's going to be the beneficiary of the 401K, we are the only beneficiary. Your fund gets the asset, and then you can tell us how you want it to be distributed.
2: You're listening to Money Talks, MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodger Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both charter financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Nancy and Ryder, ready to answer your personal finance question this morning, and while we wait for some phone calls, we are visiting today with our guest, Jane Alexander, who's president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Mississippi. So, Jane, sometimes you hear a word and you think you know what the meaning is, but then when you think to yourself, it's like, I'm not sure I exactly know what that is. So, if you would, tell us what an endowment is.
3: Sure. So, an endowment basically is money that's put aside for the future, that's invested um, a portion of which uh, of those invested dollars are spent every year. Um, we typically think of things about endowment like foundations, uh, which, of course, have have a mandatory, if it's a private foundation, they have a mandatory payout um, every year. Our definition of endowment is um, something that will basically pay out. Right now it's 4.5% a year to the organization that it benefits. Um, we strive in our investment policy for a seven and mm, about 7.35% return rate over time. Again, this is a, long, a longitudinal thing. Um, but the idea is basically you're, you're saving money for the future. Um, nobody can spend it all in one, in one year. It's another reason that a lot of nonprofits like to use a community foundation is we say you create an arm's length relationship with this long-term money because frequently um, they're established by, say, a a one-time gift. You know, a donor leaves something rather large, so you have money that you don't have to spend right away. We encourage nonprofits to set that aside because um, once you have a way for folks to give to you forever... Uh, It's more likely that you'll get those kinds of donations, but it's discipline. You know, to me, this is about planning and discipline and and not saying, oh, gosh, we have this one-time windfall, so let's redecorate the offices, um, which happens. Uh, We like that having an arm's-length relationship with the money means that the oversight for the investments, the management of the money um, is – Basically off-site. So as a nonprofit, your board can actually focus on its job, which is to raise money. So do you
0: have um, new charities that pop up and then make application to the foundation saying, hey, can you support us? And what is that process like?
3: Sure. So we do have some unrestricted money at the Community Foundation. We have an operating fund, we have an endowment fund, and then we have a competitive grants fund called the Community Trust Fund, which was established by um, a, a gift from a, one donor. Um, so we have a process every year uh, that lets people apply for support. Uh, So we do do some giving on our own. We are trying more and more, though, to align those gifts with our donors who have donor-advised funds to allow them to say, this is something I'm interested in. I see you're giving them $1,000. We'd like to match that grant with five hundred or a thousand dollars. That's really one of the ways that community foundations can be most effective is in aligning the um, the giving priorities of their donors with the giving priorities of the foundation. So, in addition to pooled investments, which is kind of our model, um, if you look at you're a nonprofit, you have five hundred thousand dollars that you could set aside. It's going to be better for you to pull that with our $58 million in our pooled investment accounts. You'll get a better quality of, of investment. You'll get better return um, than if you were out there trying to shop that $500,000 to do something with, which for most people turns out to be either um, – well, usually it's a CD because they just can't access really high-quality investments if it's not a high-dollar amount, Um and five hundred thousand dollars seems like an enormous amount of money to a nonprofit, but to investment people that's like, "Oh well, you know, you're, it's worth our time or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we can do something meaningful with that or not. So um, that's another reason that we really try to think about that. Um, we actually encourage most nonprofits who come to us to think about both a reserve fund and an endowment fund. A reserve fund is also invested. Uh, It's just that 100% of the balance can be available in case of some sort of emergency. So those nonprofits that we serve that had that during COVID really, really were able to not have to make drastic changes to their businesses.
1: And kind of to that, I heard you mention before helping people who – just have an idea about a charitable cause or they didn't necessarily have the structure to, to be their own nonprofit or it wasn't their full-time gig. How does that, so someone who has season need figures out how they can address a need, maybe even can do some fundraising, how can the Community Foundation help that person with their calls?
3: Sure. So the first thing we would do is try to see if there's already a charity that's doing the that same work and that direct those people to the, point. <laughs> to the existing charity. Um, but for people who have a project or something they're, they're trying to see if there's enough um, interest in or they know they want to become a nonprofit but they're just not quite there yet – uh, we have what are called fiscal sponsorship funds that we um, basically can incubate a charitable idea for a period of time until it's grown into its capacity to get its own 501c3, or it proves to not be something that's sustainable as a 501c3. And so it, it's it's a good way for people to think about um, the activity that they want to do. We do know f- more and more, especially... Um, Millennial donors and Gen X donors um, really want to be personally involved in the charities that they support, so not just giving them money, but giving them time and really giving ideas. So we're seeing this a lot. With We
1: do have opinions. You have opinions,
3: and you want us to do exactly what you want us to do, the Um, way you want us to do it. But I think that that's a trend that we all have to be aware of is – Being willing to think about a different way of doing things, and so that is kind of where that functionality of a community foundation, and by the way, there are seven in Mississippi. The community foundation for Mississippi serves southwest and central Mississippi, but we have six more colleagues across the the state.
2: So, Jane, why does Mississippi have a particular need for community foundations?
3: Well, the main reason is because we have very few people and a whole lot of land, and we are very rural. And we find that um, when people are, you know, they they live in communities, they make communities, they raise their children in communities, but those children don't always stay there. And so when you see people who have really been responsible for building a business uh, legacy, but they die and their children live out of state, we call that a transfer of wealth. It means that the wealth is leaving a community in Mississippi and going somewhere else because the person who controls it doesn't live in that, that area anymore. Um, we did a transfer of wealth study several years ago. It's, it's a large number for Mississippi. But what we know for a fact is that most of the wealth here is not sitting around in cash accounts or stock accounts. It's sitting in livestock. It's sitting in mineral rights. It's sitting in trees. Lots of things that are difficult to convert. To cash, and so when you think about uh, what you could what you could leave to your family or your charity, um, community foundations can facilitate these more complex gifts. Most, especially small five hundred one c threes, would have a real serious problem, uh, you know, taking something that's a uh, you know a twenty year lease of of mineral rights on a piece of property somewhere. That's hard for charities to do. It's something that we can help them do. So that's one reason we need community foundations.
2: And and I'm I'm getting the the impression or the idea that it's basically the the work that you're able to do for these smaller nonprofits takes the worry out of that and, and helps them concentrate more on whatever goal their charity was set up for.
3: That's right. Because our mission is to be a community foundation and to help these kinds of activities happen um, if I am a uh, stewpot and want to sit here and help, you know, serve the homeless population, the last thing I should be worried about is trying to, you know, receive a gift that's complicated or figure out what the investment returns are going to be or, you know, how are we? I want to focus on how we're going to use that money. If I'm a CEO of a of a nonprofit, not how is it going to get managed and is it going to be safe and all of these things that can can really detract from your. Your actual mission,
1: even just some basic things. Are you thinking about smaller nonprofits? There's a, a nonprofit I do support. Some friends of mine, and <clears throat> I know they have zero zero employees. <laughs> they have a, a a post office box where you can mail a check to. But just, I mean, just having the community foundation who's going to be receiving and processing and depositing checks and sending checks out and, and answering questions, kind of on a daily basis for you, that's a huge administrative lift. That's not a problem for them having the staff in place already, but would be a huge problem for a very much part-time in a smaller place. But one of the things that you mentioned earlier, kind of the changing—you know—some organizations have changing missions, or maybe just they they cease to exist. Maybe it was a one-person charity for a long time, and and they've moved, or, or you know, just stopped doing that. Kind of those existential threats. Here's tell us about how you know when you're thinking about someone dying and and transferring a lot of wealth out of an area. How can the Community Foundation continue to support that community, even when maybe those organizations aren't quite the same or aren't even there? And then, of course, the original donor is not there anymore. How does that look?
3: Sure. So the best way to, to keep that from happening is for donors to go ahead and think about what they want to take care of forever Um, Donor intent is very, like I said before, is really important. The way we look at these things now, um, we classify gifts with or without donor restriction. And so um, it's not so much that we've put the restriction on it, but that the donor has something specific that he or she would like to do. I think if you're thoughtful and you really want to plan and work with your financial advisors to say, this is something that matters to me, um, that's the first step. The second step is that we try, again, we have some grant money, we would also try to go and find other donors who might help in some of these rural communities. The way we're working in a couple of communities is to try to encourage them to start community-based funds, very much like a community foundation without having to start a community foundation, but have a way for people to actually say, just generally, I'd like to give to Vicksburg, or just generally, I'd like to give and make sure that people in Belzona have something to to give money to um, that's that's really difficult because again, one of my state attorney friends said, even people who come to meet with him about estate planning don't really want to think about the fact that they may die. So it's a little tricky when you start having these conversations about, you know, so we really try to talk about it in terms of what story do you want to leave? What is, you know, yes, the legacy is important, but it's also the last story that will probably ever get written by, uh, written by you about you. What does this tell uh, people about the life you lived and the things that you thought were important?
0: Jane, you said there were six other community foundations in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you guys rank in size?
3: Uh, we are the second largest. Um, CREATE Foundation in Tupelo is the oldest and largest by asset mm-hmm. size. Um, mm-hmm. We cover the most counties. They cover the second most counties. We also have um, the Community Foundation of Northwest Mississippi which serves the Delta. Um, there's the Community Foundation of Washington County, which serves Washington, Sharky, and Quinta Counties, the Gulf Coast Community Foundation, uh, Pine Belt Community Foundation, and the um, East Mississippi, which is based in Maria. So has there been any
0: talk about the possibility of combining uh, to be more efficient?
3: So – No. um okay (laughs) i think when we actually took in these extra counties um because we started as the community foundation of greater jackson i had to convince my colleagues that just because we were going to name ourselves the community foundation for mississippi we had no designs on on their um on their territories or their assets you know mississippi is is weird i mean we we love being here but people are hyper local you know they're not just saying i want to do something that's good for generally the state they have a very specific either area county or town that they really want to support and so other states have one community foundation and maybe you know 58 affiliate funds we just basically don't have affiliate funds in mississippi we have seven community foundations
0: (laughs) Um, you hear these stories, and uh, we heard about the woman who uh, lived a very meager life and then had this wonderful donation to uh, USM. And just recently, this man, um, where was that? Was it Massachusetts, um, where he he didn't have any heirs and lived very modestly, and there was this nice amount that went to
3: his town.
0: Um, do you have any stories like that?
3: Sure. So um, we actually just, uh, yes, what's interesting is that sometimes we don't know those stories. We find out after the fact that somebody has remembered the Community Foundation in their will. So sometimes it's a little difficult for us to to tell those stories if we weren't working with the donor ahead of time. But um, we do have a couple of folks who left bequests. And we like to remind people that the beauty of a community foundation model is, again, it's very accessible. It's not just a high net worth or ultra high net worth thing. You don't have to be to. rich. You don't have to be rich to, be, to do philanthropy. You know, that's, that's mm. kind of the, what we try to tell you people. You just have to
0: be generous. And we all know that Mississippians are, are the most generous. generous in this whole country.
3: And they have, to, they have to plan. I mean, this is what we say. Philanthropy is just giving with a plan. Um, so I think the, the latest one that we had was a woman who had um, a big plan for her estate. They left some very generous gifts to several things. The one that didn't ever get done before she died was the bequest to the Community Foundation. This actually ended up in the um, the treasurer uh, unclaimed property. Oh, yeah. wow. And so oh, we went goodness. through it. I uh, got a phone call from somebody that had been my student at Mississippi College and said, I think I know you, and I think that this is something that, <laughs> that belongs to you, but it's a check that got returned uh, to them, and it was not made out completely. It said mm. Community Foundation of...
0: Oh, and my goodness. so we had to kind of oh, go through no. a process
3: to see which which donor uh, it was who had a relationship with them. And luckily, the estate attorney knew us and said, well, she meant to do this, but she passed away before she could finish this particular
1: before she thing. could finish writing the check,
3: <laughs> you know. And so it had, we moved. We changed <clears throat> her name. And this went to um, our old street address. And after 90 days, it gets returned to the, you know, to the brokerage. Because it was coming out of a, a brokerage account. And
1: they didn't
2: so. make an effort to they find out They didn't make an effort to find
3: us. That is,
1: huh, imagine, interesting. Yeah,
3: imagine imagine that. Yeah.
2: We're glad you found our show, Money Talks, on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter anderson President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We are visiting today with Jane Alexander. She is President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Mississippi. So Jane, I'm not sure if "market" is the right word, but w- when you're going out trying to find things, are you looking for people that will become donors? Are you looking for people, uh, organizations that might need some assistance, or maybe a little bit of both?
3: It's both. It's both, and um, you know, we basically exist to help pull charitable dollars to do good in communities. But that that's a two that's a two way relationship, right? So that is donors who have something they want to do, and organizations that have things that they're trying to accomplish. So we try to match those up. I tell people sometimes that community foundations sit in this weird uh, space between privilege and need. So we have people who have means that they want to try to do something with, and we know a lot about the needs in communities, um, which which sadly the root causes don't change, but the organizations trying to do something about it do change. So uh, we try very hard to match up uh, donors in a sense to say, here's some place that you can come. Again, it doesn't have to be a huge gift. Um, It can just make a big difference, particularly if you set it aside for the future.
2: And I think earlier you were mentioning that someone who is a donor could either say I would like my money specifically to go to charity X, Y, or Z, or just maybe I'm giving money because I think Mississippi needs nonprofits and I want to help that. You know, grow that. The is that so the unrestricted funds? I guess is the term.
3: So that would be an unrestricted gift to us to give away. Um, but you also can specify, of course, a specific charity or specific charities, but you can also specify what we call an area, a field of interest, which is I want to, you know, animal welfare is one. Uh, Environmental causes can be one. Disaster relief is a a field of interest. So people who want to um, say, you know, I recognize that I'm all about animals, but there are a hundred animal causes and I don't want to pick just one. So please divvy up my money around people who are, you know, you could specify no kill shelters. You could specify Um, out-of-state rescue. I mean, you could do a lot of things with it, but uh, again, more and more people are thinking, golly, you know, I don't think I'm going to know 50 years from now the right organization, um, but I do want to support a specific area of interest.
2: And do the donors get any feedback as to how the money that they've invested is 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 at work in Mississippi?
3: Sure. So uh, we do impact reports on uh, basically our grant making. Uh, The Community Foundation's assets, I guess, as of yesterday, were about $83 million. Um, We've given out $79 million in grants uh, over the past 29 years. So we do try to report to our donors how their money is being spent, also how it's being invested. Um, donors have a portal that they can go in and see what their, their charitable funds are doing um, and what their grant money is doing.
1: And for folks who are just interested, one of the things I was looking at, uh, Nancy and I were looking at in the office, is y'all have a great annual report, which kind of shows what y'all have going on and, and talks a little bit more about that as right.
3: well. So, and you can find those things on our website. We are very transparent. so.
2: All right, about 30 seconds left. If folks want to find out more about the work that y'all do, you mentioned a website. How would where would you direct folks to go?
3: Uh, come to formississippi.org. It's F O R, spell out Mississippi.org and learn, you know, how you can give back to home.
2: All right. Thanks, Jane Alexander, for visiting with us this morning. That's about going to wrap us up. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter anderson Ryder Taft, and our guest Jane Alexander, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.